God, thanks for this time together, um, this opportunity to um, learn about you and connect with each other and be intentional about incorporating you and your spirit and the legacy of Jesus more into our lives. Thank you that we all made it through Thanksgiving. Um, for those for whom it was meh or tough, um, bring comfort for those of us who enjoyed it and, and had a good time. God, thank you for that. Thank you for um, the joy that we experienced. Um, give us perseverance to make it through the next few weeks that can be crazy and wild and busy and help what we talk about today to prepare our hearts for um, what that season is and all that it brings for us. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, oh man, so I'll see now I lost my notes. Look at that, I'm really prepared. <laughs> okay. Um, so, every, like, you know, approximately six to eight weeks or so here, we spend time talking about a particular discipline, right? Like we, we talk about cultivating different disciplines, spiritual disciplines in our lives, and um, there are many disciplines that we can cultivate. Um, and as Keenan and Luke and I were preparing, um, you know, we prepare for a few months at a time, like, okay, what do we want to talk about? What disciplines do we want to do? Is there a book of the Bible we want to incorporate? When are we going to do a panel? Things like that. Um, we brought up a discipline, and Luke was like, you know, Luke was pretty excited about the discipline of celebration. That was the one he wanted to do, and he was really excited about me doing it. So that's, that's what we decided was going to happen, and um, to be honest, my, my immediate reaction was like, oh, any other discipline but that one. <laughs> like, I can, I feel like I can do a really good job on any other discipline but celebration because, um, celebration is not something I was raised with as a discipline. Like, it's not something that um, I grew up thinking of as a spiritual discipline or something that um, was important for my spirituality and my soul to cultivate. Um, it just, you know, and so as I was thinking about disciplines, it's like, God, almost any other one I would have preferred. And, um, and one of the things that I have... Although I, I should say this first, is that if there is going to be any time in the calendar year that I talk about celebration, this is the season for me. Because the only um, time of year that I find myself feeling, this sounds weird, um, but feeling like youthful and giddy and um, it's the only time that I feel like sort of a childlike spirit and on the world is Christmas. I love the Christmas season. Um, and parts of me um, come out and come alive in the Christmas season that don't at any other time. Um, which is appropriate when we look at the, the church calendar too, because it's the season of Advent. And Advent is about celebrating Jesus coming um, to the world and all that Jesus represents. Um, but again, I, I never was raised in a church that celebrated like, like the church seasons either. So we didn't do Advent. You know, we, we had a Christmas pageant <laughs> and where kids, you know, learned songs and things like that. But, but that's really all we did. Um, and so it, it feels strange to be thinking about the fact that at the age I'm at with all of the years of seminary that I've had and all the years in a church that I've had, that I've never really done a full Advent season. I haven't. I just haven't been at churches where that's been a thing. Um, and yet, of all of the church seasons, I feel like it's probably one of the most natural ones for me because Christmas to me um, is 
a time of beauty and joy and goodness and celebrating the wonder of um, Jesus and creation. And, um, and I love the white and all that the snow can, like, I'm one of those weird Minnesotans who loves the snow. Like, I'm the one who, you know, people post on Facebook, like, who was saying they were excited about snow? I, blast, I blame you for the snow that we had in October or something. That's me. I'm the one who's excited about snow. I'm the one. Um, but I, I love what it represents. I love the, both the, the metaphor or the symbolism of the, the white, all things being clean and new and sparkly and shiny and fresh. Um, and I also love the, the fact that it's, it's not a straight metaphor because when everything is covered with white and when, snow, when the world gets cold like this, things die. Like, you know, trees lose their leaves and all of the flowers go away. Or at least, I'm not a botanist, but I think they all go away. Probably some indoor plants can survive, but um, but like they they go away and and animals hibernate, you know, or fly south for the winter, and everything gets still and quiet. And there's beauty in the stillness and quiet, but I think there's also more than that. There's also sadness and grief and lament and awareness that um, that there's still pain in the midst of the beauty of the Advent season. There's also pain. Um, and so I also began to realize that one of the reasons I think celebration is a discipline that is tough for me to talk about is because um, I think sometimes the way that we talk about celebration is really um, superficial. Um, and I think that celebration and lament, which is a discipline I'm much more comfortable with and much more experienced with, go hand in hand. I think that talking about one without the other is really challenging because they offer nuancing to each other. We're able to celebrate more fully when we've experienced grief and pain. And we experience grief and pain more acutely when we've experienced joy and celebration. Um, And so I, I start that all off to say that I think it's a little bit um, one-sided to talk about celebration without pain. And at the same time, we have a limited amount of time that we're going to spend talking about this today, and both of those are big topics. So we're going to focus on celebration today. Um, And that doesn't mean that, like, that doesn't mean put on a happy face, right? That doesn't mean a mask of everything's great and wonderful. It doesn't mean sugarcoating. Um... But it is, it is a discipline. The Advent season is about celebrating. Um, you know, and, and um, we see throughout the Bible a lot of d- discussion about joy. We see both discussions that hold suffering um, or lament and joy together, like we see in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 3 says, you know, for everything that happens in life, there's a season, a right time for everything under heaven. And one of the um, seasons that it talks about is a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Um, and I wonder, too, one of the things that I've noticed about my experience in church, and I've, I've um, visited probably more churches than I could count in my time, and I've been an active or long-term participant in a handful of churches in my life. And one of the things that has bothered me since the time I was young, I remember growing up in church and feeling so frustrated at what appeared to be apathy to me in the church. 
And I think part of the reason that church sometimes appears apathetic or other people experience the church sometimes as superficial is because we don't go deeper into these disciplines, either of lament or celebration. You know, you go to some churches where it's always somber and it's always quiet. Well, that's not really lament. That might be, it, it's somber, sure, it's serious, but that's not really lament. And you go to other churches sometimes that are like really loud and boisterous and excitable. That's not really celebration either. Those are, again, superficial experiences of it. That's not really going deep to the heart of what it means to have a spirit of celebration or a spirit of lament. Um, I was, out of curiosity, because this did feel like a little bit of a um, strange or unusual, I guess, challenging topic for me, um, I decided, because this is who I am, to Google like the actual definitions of um, discipline and celebration. Because I was like, let's just see what Merriam-Webster has to say about this. And I thought it was really fascinating. It offered more insight than I thought it would. So let's start with discipline. Okay, so this is what Merriam-Webster says discipline is. Definition number one, which is a three-part definition. 1A, control gained by enforcing obedience or order. That wasn't super pleasant for me. That didn't sound that, that's not really what I want to do. B, orderly or prescribed conduct or pattern of behavior. Okay. C, self-control. Definition two is punishment. Definition three is training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. Four is a field of study. Five is a rule or system of rules governing conduct or activity. And six is instruction. And then celebration. This one was really fascinating to me. I was like, this is the definition of celebration. It's not what I would have expected. So number one is to perform a sacrament or solemn ceremony publicly and with appropriate rites. So that's a lot of the celebration that I feel like I experienced in the church. Very solemn celebration. Um, 2A is to honor an occasion such as a holiday, especially by solemn ceremonies or by refraining from ordinary business. Yep, that sounds about what I'm used to too. 2B is to mark something such as an anniversary by festivities or other deviation from routine. Oh, so this is the first one where you get sort of a celebratory spirit. Festivities in uh, definition 2B. <laughs> Three is to hold up or play for public notice. Four is to observe a holiday, perform a religious ceremony, or take part in a festival. And five is to observe a notable occasion with festivities. And I think that one of the places that we get stuck when we think about um, disciplines in general and celebration even specifically, maybe even as compared to other disciplines like prayer um, or fasting, is that I think that we focus on the wrong Merriam-Webster definitions. Now, I know that none of us, like, go home and, like, Google, okay, I'm supposed to, you know, um, I'm supposed to foster a discipline. Let me Google what Merriam-Webster says I should be doing. That's not what we do, but I think that the spirit about it sometimes um, integrates the wrong definition. I think sometimes when we think about incorporating a discipline into our lives, it is almost a punishment or, like, there's some self-flagellation in it. Like, if I just get rid of this piece of me, I'll be a better person. Or if I just make this better in myself, I'll be a better person. That's not a very good or helpful way to try to foster a discipline, nor is it a good or helpful way to try to um, eliminate something we don't like about ourselves or reduce some sort of behavior. Um, so if, it's, if the discipline is all about control or enforcing obedience, we lose the heart and the spirit of it. 
If it's about punishment or self-flagellation, we lose the heart and the spirit about it. Because God didn't um, exhort us to foster um, different disciplines in our lives to punish us. It wasn't because there's something flawed about us that God could love us more if we just tweak this piece about us. That's not what it's about. Um, but sometimes we treat it that way. And even the, the celebration, I understand there are solemn celebrations. I get that. And also, I think sometimes in the church, we have a hard time getting out of the groove of solemn celebrations and just laughing, just enjoying, just having fun, um, taking life less seriously. Um, you know, it, it's so interesting to me that Merriam-Webster, only two of these six definitions include anything about festivities, which is just fascinating to me. Um, and again, there is a place for that solemn celebration, but I think that we need to focus on what it means to foster the more lighthearted, playful, joyful celebration in our lives. Um, and we see this in the Bible. There is a long history of celebration in the Bible. If we look at the Old Testament, we see um, passages about David dancing before the Lord. Um, we see Miriam singing songs of praise to the Lord after the deliverance from the Red Sea, at the Red Sea, um, from the Egyptians. Even the Psalms, the Psalms which... Um, as a hospital chaplain, when I was sitting with people who were struggling and in pain, I almost always, if they were a Christian and the Bible meant something to them, referred to the Psalms as license, um, not only license, but also exhortation to engage in lament and to allow ourselves to be sad and grieve and suffer because the Psalms are filled with grief and sadness and suffering. But the other thing about the Psalms is that only like four of the psalms, I, don't, I should have looked at the exact number, but I'm pretty sure it's like four or six of the psalms only have lament or grief. All of the other hundreds of psalms incorporate celebration and joy and faith and trust and hope and perseverance. One without the other is um, short-sighted. In Psalm 35, as an example, we, we see a verse that says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Um, there are so many examples of celebration in Scripture. And I think one of the reasons that sometimes we um, struggle with celebrating in a really like rich and vibrant way is because we lose sight of why we're celebrating or what we're celebrating. So let's start with the why. Why do we celebrate? Why? I said, you know, the reason God gave us these exhortations for disciplines is, is not to punish us or to make us feel like we need to do something better. I, I believe that it's for a better reason than that. So why? Well, some of the reasons I think that God um, exhorts us to experience joy, to practice joy and celebration is because joy makes it easier to persevere. If we have a spirit of celebration and a spirit of joy that's infused in our lives, then even when those difficult times come, and they will come, we have more um, within us to persevere. 
one of the, um, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but this seems to fit, I think. Um, so as I've, I've shared before about my um, therapy practicum um, and how we do dialectical behavioral therapy, um, which is really effective for people who struggle with mood regulation disorders, so depression or anxiety or um, borderline personality disorder, things like that. And one of the, uh, most of the, most of the units or the skills that we teach are about um, fostering sort of this more disciplined, regimented, like, make sure you practice mindfulness. And when you feel this way, make sure that you're, you know, not, um, oh, what's the word I want? Uh, Mind reading, that you're assuming that someone is feeling something that they're not, or you're assuming they have thoughts that they don't. Check the facts of the situation, you know, um, and things like that. But one one of the sections that we teach that I love is more about this. It's about celebration and joy and playfulness. And the idea is that, if we actively and purposefully um, integrate joyful and positive experiences in our lives, when the hard times come, they throw us off kilter way less. And it's similar if you think of like that we all have um, in, in my son's school, they talk about having this invisible bucket or like we have this internal well. And we fill the well, which is like our internal resources, our resilience, with water. Um, and every time something positive happens, whether it's something that you, um, you know, you foster, or whether it's something that someone does to you or says to you that's kind, or whether it's just walking outside and instead of being mindlessly on our cell phones, we enjoy what it's like to breathe fresh air. We're putting drops of water in the bucket. We're filling the bucket. Sometimes it's just a few drops. Sometimes it's like a bucketful is filling the well. You know, it's a, this great, grand, wonderful experience. Um, and then when something difficult happens, water's removed from the bucket. So, um, you know, you get a flat tire on the way home. Well, if you have been someone who has actively fostered joy and fostered noticing positive moments and positive experiences in your life, that flat tire is going to throw you way off kilter for the rest of the day and the rest of the week than if you're someone who um, hasn't done that, who hasn't incorporated joy or noticing the beauty. Um, someone who has spent more time focusing on the negative or um, who just doesn't notice the beauty around you. Like I said, it doesn't have to be, you know, a a party or a celebration every day. It can be standing outside and breathing fresh air. It can be going on a walk around the neighborhood and, you know, in the fall noticing the leaves changing colors. Those things fill our buckets. Those things are celebrating the life around us. Um, And so joy, fostering joy and fostering celebration in us makes us more resilient. It makes us more resilient. It it allows us to have greater perseverance when hard times come because they will come. Joy also makes it easier to cultivate the other disciplines. It's really difficult to invest in a discipline in which you find no joy. If you want to become an excellent pianist, but you hate playing the piano, it's going to be really difficult for you to motivate yourself to practice for hours every day like you need to to become an excellent pianist. Um, If you, you know, any sort of skill that you want to foster in yourself, if you don't take any joy in it, in fact, if you hate it, it's going to be really difficult to motivate yourself to do it. So when we foster joy in ourselves and joy in our faith and joy in who God is, it makes it easier and more natural for us to um, incorporate the other disciplines. 
it's a lot more enjoyable to pray to a God in whom I take joy in the goodness of than a God that I feel sort of neutral about or a God that I could give or take. I have a lot more motivation to... Um, I have a lot more motivation to fast, whether from food or something else, if I take joy in knowing how that is benefiting my soul. Um, If I take joy in knowing what that means and what that develops within me and why God um, has asked me to engage in that. And scripture tells us to celebrate. So uh, if you want any other reason, (laughs) scripture tells us to. There are so many verses in the New Testament about taking joy in our circumstances. Count it all joy. Take heart. Take joy. Be joyful. We also have a lot to celebrate. So that's why we celebrate. But what are we celebrating? Well, we have a lot to celebrate. In the Advent season, very specifically, we're celebrating Jesus. We're celebrating who Jesus is and what Jesus meant to us, what Jesus means for us and for the world. We celebrate what Jesus represents. In Luke 2, when the—I'm going to keep this brief because we're going to talk about Advent in the coming weeks, but when, um, when the angels come to the shepherds, They don't say, tremble in your boots because a wrathful God is coming for you. They say, don't be afraid. Listen, I bring good news, news of great joy, news that will affect all people everywhere. Today in the city of David, a liberator has been born for you. He is the promised anointed one, the supreme authority. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that when I remember that Jesus is the supreme authority, that is good news. (laughs) That brings a lot of joy because Jesus, what Jesus represents to me, is grace that covers all failings, mercy beyond what I could imagine or hope or even comprehend, love for all, a, um, a goodness that is expansive, that expands to include not only all humans, which I believe it does, but all of creation, all of the universe. Everything is within Jesus' love. Jesus' love touches everything, every cell. That is something worth celebrating. I imagine that because we all have different faith journeys, we all have different experiences, that Jesus represents maybe some of the same things to you and maybe Jesus represents other things to you. But I know that everyone who's here, (laughs) for everyone who's here, Jesus does represent something meaningful. So there's celebration and joy in that. Whatever it is that Jesus represents to you that keeps you coming here or that motivates you to come here and learn more and try to figure out how to be more Jesus to the world, That's worth celebrating. And I think we get stuck, though. So this is all well and good, but I think that we get stuck in our celebration sometimes for for a few different reasons. Um, And one of the reasons, I think, is just terrible theology that some of us were raised in. Um, 
not all of the churches that I, I went to long-term, but some of the churches I went to long-term, if something painful happened or if someone was experiencing grief, the response was, take joy that you're experiencing grief because God did this for you to whatever. God did this um, so that you could learn or God this, did this so you could grow or God did this to you so that you, you know. And there was this, to me, what I think is is twisting, truthfully. I think it's twisting of scripture to try to make us find joy in pain. And I don't think that's what the Bible calls us to. The Bible does never, ever tells us to take joy that evil exists or that painful things happen to us. The Bible never tells us someone you love died. Yes, God is teaching you something awesome in this. You should be thankful that something painful happened to you. But that's preached a lot. And again, when I worked as a chaplain in a hospital, I can't tell you how many times I met with people who were feeling or experiencing something deeply grievous, and they wouldn't allow themselves to feel the grief because, well, I'm supposed to be thankful that God's giving me this opportunity to grow. That brings up for me even just memories of sitting with um, one of the units that I was assigned to probably a dangerous topic to bring up right now because <laughs> I'm going to get weepy. Um, while we're talking about the discipline of celebration, <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the units I was assigned to is labor and delivery. And as you can imagine, most of the time when a chaplain's called to labor and delivery in the middle of the night, it's not for a joyous experience. And there were so many people that I sat with. It was so painful. People who had deep, beautiful faith in God who wouldn't allow themselves to be sad. Because God tells me I'm supposed to be thankful for this thing that happened to me. No. <laughs> I call, like, I don't use the word blasphemy. Well, I use blasphemy when I say that usually lightly, like jokingly, like heresy. I think that's heresy. I think that that's blasphemous to say that God does horrible things in the world to help us grow and learn. Um. But I think sometimes that prevents us from celebrating because there's something that tells us or someone who tells us or a history of the church that tells us that we should celebrate things that aren't celebratory. It's really tough to celebrate when you're told that you should also celebrate painful things. You know, one of the scriptures that's used sort of as a clobber text for this is, is 1 Thessalonians 518, take joy in all circumstances. That doesn't mean that you should take joy that all circumstances happen. It means that in all circumstances, God is still good. And God's love still exists. And God's love is still with you. I like Romans 12, 12 a little more because I think it's a little bit harder to twist. It says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be patient in tribulation. Hard times come. Take heart. God is with you. When Paul was in prison and said that um, he had been able to um, find joy even in prison, I don't think that meant that he was thrilled that he was shackled. I think that meant that um, he had fostered joy in God such that his love for God and his experience of God's goodness didn't evaporate when something painful happened. And sometimes what gets in the way, and I think that this is something that's pretty timely right now, um, is that our, our seasons are not the same. 
So again, going back to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes um, says that there's a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time for joy and a time for sorrow. Well, the Advent season, according to the church, is a time for celebration. But it might not be your time for celebration. Sometimes our time doesn't line up with the church's time or with each other's time. Um, I was, you know, I was on call over Thanksgiving and over um, a couple of days during the Christmas holiday um, as a chaplain at the hospital. And um, let me tell you, death still happens on Thanksgiving. (laughs) Death still happens on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and New Year's and birthdays and anniversaries and other holidays, whether they're family um, specific celebrations or traditions or whether they're, you know, national or religious holidays and celebrations. Death happens on those days. Um, and, and sometimes it can be hard if my season doesn't line up with the church's season or with your season or with my family's season. Um, it's difficult then for us to engage in celebration. Um, because sometimes when we're not in that place, like right now, um, you know, is, is, again, the season of Advent, and, and you look all around, and there's joy, and there's sparkliness, and there's beauty, and there's presence, and all these things that maybe some of you, like, make some of you queasy, but I love. <laughs> and the, the general air of the season is, like, gratitude, and kindness, and goodwill to all men, which is straight from Scripture. Um, and for someone who's experienced a loss during that time, it can be really hard to be surrounded by warm fuzzies. Um, that can kind of shut us off or shut us down from celebrating. And so I think one of the things that we need to remember is that there are seasons and that it's okay if your season of grief coincides with the church's season of celebration, that's okay. And I think we also need to remember that the two exist concurrently. Lament and celebration exist side by side. Lament is not lament without joy. And celebration and joy are not celebration and joy without the experience of grief and loss and lament. Um, There's a... I, I'm a big fan of um, Jason Mraz, which I don't know if he's even a thing anymore, but when I was in high school, he was a thing. And one of his songs um, that I really love is called Life is Wonderful. And it's this sort of like, the, the whole song is celebrating sort of this balance of both exist at the same time, and that's okay. And one of the lines is, um, it takes some good to make it hurt. It takes some bad for satisfaction. We don't know what joy and celebration is if we haven't experienced grief, if we haven't experienced loss or pain. How do we know what goodness is? How do we know what it feels to celebrate? Um, I remember speaking to someone who had experienced a significant loss a year or so after the loss, not in the, in the immediate you know, moment of it, but the thing that amazed me that she said that she had learned or that was beautiful for her was that she realized that because she had experienced this really painful loss, and, and she would have said it was the first time she'd experienced a big loss in her life. She'd had, a, as she called it, a fairly easy life. Um, and that was the first sort of like the world smacking her in the face of like, oh, pain exists. Um, 
And she said that what she noticed was that her experience of celebration and love and goodness and happiness was all the grander and all the more robust um, because she knew what it was like to be at the bottom of the pit. She knew what it was like to be in such great despair that she questioned whether she would ever feel joy again. Um, This feels timely for me this year, too, Um, balancing these two because um, I lost both of my maternal grandparents early this year. Um, And so for me, this holiday season is um, different. Um, It will be the first year without them. And one of the interesting things about feelings that um, most of us don't know when we're in the midst of something um, big, and it can be big, like exciting, wonderful, beautiful, or it can be big, like painful grief, or it can be big, like fear or anger or what have you. One of the things we don't realize because we often are so, um, we, we dissociate from the experience or we distract ourselves or we do something to cover up the feeling is that if you just sit with your feeling, feelings come in waves and within three to five minutes, it will dissipate. Even in the, like the biggest grief you've ever had, if you sit with it and if you feel it and you experience it in your body, three to five minutes later, not that the grief is gone, but that wave of the pain will be gone. It'll come back, don't get me wrong, but it will be gone. And so that's some, one of the things I think we forget is that these um, feelings come in waves. And so even in seasons where we might have pain in the season of Advent, that can still exist next to celebration. We can still celebrate and appreciate and rejoice in who Jesus is and what Jesus means for us, even though those waves of pain may come and go. And if we sit with that wave of pain, it will go. See, that's the thing, is when we try to push it away, it lasts longer because our body really wants us to know what we're experiencing. So if we try to, like, shut it down or not feel it, it's going to last for a long time. And that's why people don't believe me if I tell them that if they sit with the wave, it'll go away in three to five minutes. Well, no, it's, it's been like this for, for hours or weeks or days or months or years. Yeah, but you haven't sat with it. Um, so I guess I, I did the opposite of what I said I was going to do. I said I was going to focus on celebration. I guess I can't do it. I can't do it because the two for me can't be, can't be disconnected. Lament and celebration go hand in hand. Um, and I think that if we expect there to be, um, a season in our lives that will be untouched from any sort of grief, and it doesn't have to be our personal grief grief in the world. There's enough of that, right? Then we're kind of fooling ourselves and we're expecting sort of a superficial celebration. But I think that if we can sit with both and if we can experience both and if we can um, welcome both as they come, that our experience of both of them will become more robust and fuller. Um, One of my favorite movies is, um, actually my favorite movie is, is, um, while you were sleeping, which is like an old school Sandra Bullock movie and just kind of like a quirky romantic comedy. I love it. 
so much. And it's a Christmas, to me, it's a Christmas movie because it takes place during the Christmas season. And um, there's this one scene that I love where, uh, is anyone, have, have people seen this? Okay. Most everyone has seen it. Okay. So there's this one scene that I love that isn't really connected to the plot where um, one of the subplots is that um, this family, there are two adult sons and the parents have a, um, a business. They have an estate business where they like buy estate furniture and then sell it and what have you. And, um, and the two adult sons, one of them left the business. It was supposed to be, the last name is Callahan. It was supposed to be Callahan and Sons. And one of the sons left, so it became Callahan and Son. And the other son wanted to leave too and struggled throughout the movie with like, how do I tell my dad? Like he's planning on giving me this business, but I don't want this business. I have this other thing I want to do. And there's this scene where he goes, the son who needs to tell his dad this goes to visit his dad, and they're sitting at the kitchen table, and they're talking about all of the events of the plot of the movie, what had happened, and, and the dad says something to the effect of, pardon my language for a second, life is a pain in the ass. And he says something about like how, you know, there's heartache, and there's pain, and there's trouble, and then he says, and then for one second, one second, everyone is well, everyone is happy, and in that one second or minute, you have peace. And the son goes, Dad, this isn't that minute. And then tells him that he wants to leave the business. And I think that's emblematic of life, though, like that, that there's never a time in life that is fully peaceful because we're still on this side of heaven. It's the already but not yet of the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is here because Jesus came and because we carry Jesus' legacy into the world and because we, um, we honor who Jesus was and we love and we give and we show mercy and grace and we try to do all these things. And it's still the world and there's still, it's still going to be a pain in the ass sometimes. There's going to be shit that happens. And... Um, And so if we, if we expect that, you know, sometime there will be nothing but celebration and that will be all that exists on this side of eternity, we're, we're fooling ourselves and we're not going to experience it very fully either. Um, I'm kind of just spitballing here. I totally went off track of my outline. Um, C.S. Lewis says, I, I, I love this quote, C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. But it's, you know, but if, if we look at who Jesus was, I think we often do get stuck in the somber and the serious. But Jesus was playful. Jesus had fun. Um, I believe that Jesus laughed a lot. I don't see him portrayed in most movies as laughing a lot. Most of the uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus are very somber and serious. Know, and like you, you never crack a smile the whole movie. But I think Jesus was a joy-filled person because Jesus had even a, like a more full connection to God than we can even imagine. We've experienced a taste of it, and Jesus experiences that in fullness. Um, and so I think sometimes what we need to do. <laughs> is allow ourselves to experience sort of a lighthearted celebration. It doesn't have to be grand, but take ourselves less seriously. Laugh, joke, 
have fun together. I'm not very good at being childlike. They always say, you know, when you're going to celebrate or be joyous, have a childlike spirit. I'm not good at that except at Christmas time. So that's really not my thing. But, but celebration also doesn't have to be loud or boisterous. You know, you think of how kids celebrate and they yell and they jump and whatever. And that's what I see in a lot of churches that like talk about celebration a lot is like jumping and yelling. And for some people, I'm sure that's authentic, but I also think it's not authentic for everyone. That's not how I celebrate. I don't jump and clap and scream. Um, so I guess my question is, um, what does celebration look like for you? What feels celebratory to you? How do you like to mark joy? And what is it that Jesus represents to you that you want to keep in mind this Advent season that you're celebrating? Who is Jesus to you that merits celebrating in the Advent season, even if the Advent season also holds for you pain? So um, as of, as of, is it already next week? Is this the last, this is the last uh, Sunday in November. So as of next week, we'll be starting Advent, which is like insane to me. Um, so I encourage you to take the next week, take these next days and, and really think about who is Jesus to you and what is it about Jesus and Jesus' message and who Jesus is and what Jesus brought to the world and continues to bring Um, that is worth celebrating. For you, what do you cling to? What do you hold on to? Um, There was this, uh, so back back when I used to be in one of those more boisterous churches, um, there was uh, an artist uh, named Kim Walker-Smith, who I listen to a lot of music of, and I don't know if any of you know her, but she is... um, or if any of you, that, that was my first exposure to hearing um, musicians who, um, I mean, I guess I don't know. I, I think that they would just say that they're led by the Holy Spirit. So, like, they, they don't plan their whole song. Like, they plan some of it, and then they just kind of do whatever. Like, and It's actually kind of amazing, though, when you see, like, all of these musicians working together to continue playing music that they haven't rehearsed. Because sometimes it goes on for 20 minutes and sometimes it goes on for three hours. And you're like, you definitely didn't rehearse for three hours. Um, It's kind of amazing. But she has this song. Like, I I generally don't listen to her music anymore. um, Mostly because my my faith journey has shifted. But she has this song that I thought of when I was thinking about celebrating that does have the spirit to it that I think we sometimes lose. It's called Open Up Heaven. Um, And these are some of the lyrics. When heaven opens over me, I'm saturated in love, dancing deeper in creativity, nothing impossible for me. Stirring passion, dreams awakened, heaven opened is what I long to see. It's the promise I was made for, born for, to see heaven open up on earth. It's everything I'd fight for, I'd die for, to see heaven invade this earth. And then here's the part that I love. Open up heaven. We will party with the angels. There's nothing better. And I, like, I love that, that, that image of like partying with the angels because, frankly, I think that like, my vision of heaven, that's what it is. I don't think it's somber harp music all the time. I think that there's going to be like, some serious partying um, and celebrating that all grief has passed and all evil is gone and that only God's goodness endures. Um, you know, and, and as we've talked about many times before at Bloom, 
our legacy as Jesus followers or Christians or Christ followers or whatever we call ourselves is to bring more heaven to earth. And to do that, we have to have celebration. We have to. Heaven is celebratory. Um, so in, in the vein of that, we're going to take communion together um, today, which we don't always do. Um, and there's, a, there's a, another song. Derek Webb is an artist I really like. He's a bluegrass artist, which is not normally my thing, but his, um, his lyrics are very scriptural and very beautiful, and I think some of the, the least twisted um, Christian music I've heard. <laughs> Sometimes Christian music has really bad theology, and I really like his. It's just really raw and real. And he has this song um, called Lover that's all about Jesus' ministry on earth. Um, and I considered playing it, but I've already cried at you guys, and we're supposed to be talking about celebration, not grief, and it's sort of a somber song. But at the end, he wraps, saying, um, he wraps up all of this, and it's sort of like, for me, this is why we celebrate. And he says, because I am my beloved's and my beloved's mine. So you bring all your, this is Jesus talking, so you bring all your history. I'll bring the bread and wine. And we'll have us a party where all the drinks are on me. And as surely as the rising sun, you will be set free. And I love that. I love that image of like just meeting up with Jesus and we bring the fullness of ourselves and we toast with Jesus to, to that. So we're going to toast with Jesus to that and with each other. Um, I'm going to, I guess, oh, dear Lord, why didn't anyone stop me? Oh, my gosh, I got on a, I went, I got on a little bit of a, okay. Well, let's say a quick prayer, and then we're going to celebrate communion, and God bless you all for making it through this. (laughs) Jesus, thank you for who you are and for the joy that you represent. Thank you for your goodness and your warmth and your love and for what joy it is to experience the heaven that you brought to earth and what joy it is that we get to bring more heaven to earth. As we take this communion together, help it to be a celebratory experience where we remember um, and we honor and we take joy and um, gratitude in who you are and in what this represents, that we bring the fullness of who we are And you bring the fullness of who you are together to the table. And in that we do experience heaven. In your name we pray. Amen.